transition into Duke the Dumpster Jersey is is going to be flawless because no matter what we're doing, we can say, oh, you know, we're just going to take out that trash. And speaking of taking out the trash, oh, look, see, look at that. Did somebody say trash? <laughs> somebody say trash. You know, we were just saying um, how the transition into bringing you in is going to be flawless because we could just say, like, we could just relate it to taking something out. Like, we're, we're just taking out the trash. And speaking of taking here out I the am trash. To, and here I am to screw the transition all up. No, man, you did it great. It's, a, it's one of the things that we actually take pride in on this show. Uh, we're, we're a live show. So pop in whenever, jump in whenever. Uh, and and throw us off our game. It's great. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me on the show. How are you guys doing? I'm I'm great, Vanessa. How are you doing? Great. Great. Um, had a had a busy day today. Um, got three daughters. They keep me extremely busy. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Had a coworker. It was uh her last day. Well, tomorrow's her last day. But same difference. Busy, busy day. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you be doing tonight if you were not on this show? I I go to bed early, man. I wake up early, and you know, I generally during the weekdays I work uh, for an adult recovery court program here where I live in Middle Tennessee, which is basically like it's it's like a probation slash drug treatment program. To give people an option instead of having to go to jail or prison if they have an underlying, you know, substance abuse problem. But, but that's my day job. That's my shoot job, as we say in the wrestling business. And uh, that's generally what I do during the week. Um, so yeah, evenings I'm not doing anything. I'm usually getting ready to crash because I wake up early, and usually there's something to be done early in the morning, whether it's drug testing people or GPS stuff or whatever. So that's kind of what I'm up to these days. And I mean. It's been an extremely – when I was researching all my notes for you, uh, first of all, uh, when I say the name Duke the Dumpster Josie, it brings back a lot of memories for me watching wrestling. Like, like that was my time. That's, that's when I enjoyed wrestling. I still enjoy it, but that's, I can remember that. So when I was researching you, I had that to go on, and then it's literally – it's uh, – how would I put it? It's, it's like riding a wave. Your journey is is uh, ups and downs, and uh, there's a lot of highs, there's a lot of lows, and uh, to where, yeah, exactly. And where you are now, I mean, I don't think we can cover it in one show. I, you know, I can try to hit points in there, uh, and and like you, you, I wouldn't say you're a counselor for this drug program, but you probably do the same type of stuff. Yeah, that's part of what I do. Yeah. That's part. I mean, it's it's part. Like I said, it's it's half and half and half. Partially, it's like probation on steroids, and then the other half, it's like really, you know, it's just really effective, good drug treatment programs. So, and I'm a part of both. I mean, I handle a lot of the the supervision, like I said, with drug testing, GPS monitoring when they're on house arrest. But then I also teach treatment classes, like recovery skills and relapse prevention and stuff like that, to try to kind of show them how to live life without that crutch anymore without having to depend on that coping mechanism of using drugs so yeah i take a lot of pride in it 
Um, you know, I, and I have, I've, I've seen a lot of ups and downs in my time. I, I you know, I started yeah. using drugs heavily when I was a professional wrestler just to get by, you know, it was, you take a beating and a lot of guys did it. And I, I'm very fortunate to still be here because of some of the stupidity I went through, but I am here and I'm trying to live my best life these days and trying to use a lot of the trials and tribulations of my life and the things I've been through uh, for a greater good and trying to help other people that struggle with the same thing. And I mean, we don't, we, we don't need to go into to details or even, even discuss like, like about back whatever when, you want, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Back when, when you were wrestling, you know, it, it's, uh, it was like right before the attitude era, yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, ruling schedule, ride or die, like you said, heavy it into, to drugs, uh, for injuries, probably a lot of drinking as well. Uh, but something you said to what you do now is relapse prevention. Um, yep. And is that because anybody could go and physically get clean? Is relapse prevention the biggest hurdle for somebody? With that question, I can tell that you honestly listen and you really – uh, that's the most intelligent question I've ever been asked actually about my crossover into drug treatment because that's what it's all about. Yeah, anybody can get physically clean, man. Anybody can quit using drugs, especially if, if they're going through a court process, if they've been arrested or something and they, you know, they're fearing jail time or prison time or whatever the case may be. Anybody, you can go to rehab and get clean, but that's not the work. The work starts after that, and that's where you learn what recovery is. And the probably, in my humble opinion, the biggest part of recovery and substance abuse is relapse prevention. You have to walk through life every day figuring out what your triggers are, the things that could set you off mentally, the things you know that could drive you into that bad headspace to make you start looking around for a, like I said, a bad coping mechanism, which, you know, for addicts used to be using drugs. And, and, uh, we try to teach them new, more positive coping mechanisms and, uh, getting around other people that are going through the same process. But man, you, you hit it on the head, brother. Relapse prevention is the name of the game. And that's why I teach. That was one of the first things I did is I started teaching that when I started working for this. Uh, recovery court program was because I knew how important it was in my recovery when I went through it. So yeah, man, a very good question. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, researching uh, your, your story and your journey. Um, it, it got me thinking about a lot of stuff. Uh, relapse prevention. Uh, I work with children with autism, um, you know, school age kids and, I can teach them as far as these like behaviors, like these real aggressive behaviors. I can teach them. Uh, I can get them not to do them. Uh, but what the biggest hurdle for me and for them is to get them to realize what triggers them and what makes them do these certain things, and then take those take those triggers. And and basically basically uh, uh, deal with them and and not relapse and fall into this uh, behavior. It's like a vicious cycle. It's the same 
concept, sort of, almost. I hope I'm making sense. Yes, behavior modification. That's what it is. I used to be a special education teacher, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and you're teaching them um, self-sufficiency to to learn, like you said, the triggers and the things that set them off, and you're you're teaching them slowly but surely how to self-regulate. It's the same exact concepts. It's just with the people I work with, it's about drugs and alcohol. And the folks that you work with, it's about uh, certain cognitive, perhaps, disabilities or, or things of that nature that they have to learn to compensate for in their everyday life. Um, relapse prevention, is, is that a constant thing? You never actually achieve it. It's just something you're always working on. Well, the relapse prevention, you can, you can it is a constant, you constantly maintain. That is what recovery is. It's constant maintenance of what you're trying to do. And a big part of that is, relapse prevention and you know sometimes people do make mistakes and they fall and they backslide and they they use or something of that nature but um yeah we want to try and be as perfect as possible with the actual relapse prevention part now there's no such thing as perfection but Mm. you know if we can if we can make it through the day without picking up drugs no matter how bad things get then that's a major moral victory and um so yeah, it's it it is. It's a constant. Uh, it's a constant program of maintenance. And and there's. I always tell people in in recovery, there's 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 no graduation from you know. There's no certificate or diploma, man. You got to work on this the rest of your life because if you don't, then you become possibly complacent and you fall right back into making the same mistakes. Um, man, that that's all great stuff and. Everything you're doing with relapse prevention is great, and and we we're probably gonna touch a little bit on uh, how you got to there, but but maybe not. I don't know. I write bullet points down, and whether I get to them or not is is, is the best part of this show. Um, I'm good. It's good. Yeah, I'm gonna pretend to be a person that talks about wrestling. So we'll see. If we get <laughs> well, that's a. It's All a, right. We, we figured we had to talk about wrestling at some point, right? Right. right? It's interesting. It's like. It's it's like we're a wrestling show, but sometimes it's the non wrestling stuff that is either the most interesting or or is what needs to be heard. Like you're that what you just said about relapse prevention and what you're doing right now, um, although you got there on a journey like through wrestling and, and that's where you're there, that has nothing to do with wrestling and it's way more important than wrestling to me. So I I don't know, I just wanna make sure I got to that. Well, and the fact that you focused on that speaks volumes about your show, man. You're you're willing to go where the interest is. You're not just staying hyper focused with tunnel vision on just wrestling. Um, you know, you you know something that is interesting when you hear it, and something that's important to talk about. And I think that's why you probably just did that. Yeah, uh, and you know, that's I I try. Yeah, we do our best. Uh, but you're doing a great <laughs> job, brother. It's good so, stuff, man. I'm having fun. It's spectacular. Uh, and sorry about my dry cough. I, I have to put humidifiers, I think, in my house. What I'm going to need to do. Uh, you know. I, um, I, I, I won't talk much about your training. Obviously, you had some. Uh, you, made it, you made it to the WWF at that time. Uh, you know, played football, did wrestling, about 6'6", 310 in high school. Let's give or take an a inch or, or weight here. Um. All that's the exciting stuff to me. There's a couple things uh, I learned 
which uh you know intrigued my mind uh you were way way ahead of your game because you were you were editing you were making uh highlight reel videos before it was even possible to do uh but you found a way uh how uh, how were you so uh, aware that that you needed to do that? You know, that's a good question because I don't know. I just, I thought in terms of, you know, as I was working my way up through the independence in Florida, which there wasn't a whole lot, it was just, yeah, you know, it, it was you know, a, lot, a lot less companies or shows to work on back in those days. But every decision I made, I would, I would think, I would ask myself, what would Vince McMahon be looking for with this concept? And that's how the Garbage Man character came about. First of all, I was, I was, I had this great name somebody gave me, Rocco Gibraltar. And I knew that I needed a good gimmick on it to catch Vince's attention. So I became the Garbage Man, Rocco Gibraltar, wrestling down in Florida. And when, when I became that character and I decided that was the character I was going with, and that I was going to try and get into the WWF with. Then I went full speed ahead, taping every single thing I did because I knew I had a, I, I had an idea of putting this tape together. And it was three parts. The very first part was a promo. The second part was a highlight reel. And the last part was just a whole match in its entirety to show them how I could work. And um, I didn't see a whole lot of people doing that at the time, really. A lot of it was word of mouth and, and guys weren't sending tapes or anything, but I knew it, it just, it had to be something a little bit more spectacular because I didn't have friends or any family that worked in the business. Right. It's definitely not in WWF. So I was going to have to figure out a way to catch their attention on my own. So that's where this concept came from. And then, my brother, who's just my brother John, is just this genius with technology, man. And, and anytime I come up with a creative concept, um, and I give it to him, I say, "This is what I'm trying to accomplish." He immediately has a way to make it work and make it happen. And what he and I ended up doing, this is back in 1993, mind you, we had two VCRs and a bunch of VCR tapes of my matches, you know, on VHS yep. tapes. Yep. And I would go through and I watched every single tape of every single match I had done down there as the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. And I scripted every single tape with counter numbers as to where there were moves or other things that I wanted to include. And then I created an entire script of counter numbers with moves and flipped it all around and put it in some order I thought was good. And I said, this is, this is the highlight reel part. I said, this is the highlight reel I want. And me and my brother went through piece by piece and took each tape, put another tape in, fast forwarded to that counter number, taped that onto the tape, next move, one move at a time on a VHS tape recorder and created this thing. And then my brother laid music over it. He had a, an eight, 18 or no, I'm an eight track recording, a recorder yeah. where he laid a uh, cool Modi's I go to work rap song Classic. over the top of that highlight reel. And then it was just a matter. I found a local, the the local promoter, and I went to the dump, and I cut a promo, screaming and yelling, and uh, and then I just put one of my matches on the end of it, and uh, that was the tape. And then of course I went and got eight by tens done, and and um, I actually wrote a resume of not just 
the wrestling experience, but like, uh, you know, the fact that I was just finishing college at the time yep. and, and all yep. these other things. And um, the funny thing about it, it all came together just kind of perfectly because I was reading the paper one day and it was talking about the steroid scandal. That's right when this was happening. And Hulk Hogan had just jumped to WCW. And it was about this local television executive convention and it being held in the Miami Beach Convention Center. That's down near where I lived. I lived in Miami. And they were talking about how Hulk Hogan had jumped to WCW and how Vince McMahon was going through the steroid scandal and they interviewed Hulk Hogan about it and he had his comments and then the last sentence in the thing said Vince McMahon who was also in attendance had no comment I realized Vince McMahon was in Miami Florida and I'm sitting here getting ready to go travel the United States trying to get a job somewhere in the last remaining territories with this little promo package I got and I was like shit he's here I gotta go into that I gotta get into that freaking convention so i found out somebody that i knew that i was friends with was a tv executive actually at one of the local channels he was a vice president of channel two like you know like almost like a public access channel but he had uh, tv executive credentials and he gave them to me (laughs) and i wore a suit and put on his credentials and i walked right in that fucking convention and i walked right up to vince mcmahon and I introduced myself, and I told him I wanted to work for him and, and wrestle for him in the World Wrestling Federation. And I just blindsided him, man. I caught him out of nowhere. He was over drinking his cup of coffee first thing in the morning by himself. And all the other office stooges were milling around on the other side. And I caught Vince by himself, and I went right to him. And uh, I pitched him for about 45 seconds. And I just asked at its earliest convenience if you could take a look at this and uh, just get in touch with me. All my information's on there if you like what you see. And I appreciate your time. And I got the fuck out of there. <laughs> I got the hell out of Dodge. That takes ball. That takes balls. That it just it 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 came together like that. And I said, "This is it. This is the moment." And I said, "I I, I said don't don't even sit here and think about it." It was literally overnight. Right. The plan came together overnight. And the next morning I was walking in the door and um, I didn't, I literally didn't give myself a chance to overthink it and worry about it until afterwards, afterwards <laughs> I was driving away, shaking like what a leaf. I, do? Yeah, I before ruined I, everything. I was like, I'm just going to do this, man. Cause this is my only shot. And oh. uh, that's what I did. And, and then about a week later, he had JJ Dillon call me and they brought me up and had a TV tape in and had me do some dark matches, tryouts and all that good stuff. All right, I got a couple questions out of this. Okay. So you make this tape. First of all, brilliant mind, you and your brother to make this a uh, highlight reel at that time, the WWF, which is WWE now, but the, at that time, the WWF was very uh, gimmick driven. Um, yep. Was, was that, why you leaned towards this uh, uh, sanitation worker? Um, were there other gimmicks you were contemplating? You know, I remember the exact moment I came up with the idea. I was I was still in college, and I was at home one evening, laying in bed, just thinking, you know, brainstorming ideas. And I was like, what? I need a gimmick to go with this name, Rocco Gibraltar. 
And the first thing that came to mind was the G-Man, Rocco Gibraltar. And I was like, okay, what's a G-Man? Right. I said, okay, a G-Man could be like a G-Man, like a federal agent. They used to call them G-Man back in the day, like a federal FBI agent. Or G-Man could be the garbage man. And then it just came out. I said, the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. And it just flowed. And I immediately stopped and I went, this is it. Because Vince McMahon loves gimmicks. He loves a working class gimmick, baby face, blue collar guy that the fans will get behind. It's got all the perfect earmarks of something he would love. And uh, that was when I was off to the races with it. Um. First of all, Rocco Gibraltar, uh, classic. It's like the coolest name it's ever. The coolest name ever. Uh, so, uh, as you said, you got to call back, um, come up, do some dark, start dark matches, some training. Uh, about twenty four years old. Um, when, when eventually, when Shane McMahon comes to you and says, uh, "Look, um, we're it's great. We're we're going to give you Duke the Dumpster Drozzy." Uh, what are your initial thoughts? Because as we both agree, Rock, uh, the garbage man Rocco Gibraltar uh, is great, um, and you're getting the old, good old. Uh, well, we're going to give you a name and own that. Uh, what are your initial yeah, yeah. thoughts? And did you care at that time? Well, it was funny. The first, the, the Duke the Dumpster Drosy, Drosy. Obviously, it's my real last name. So yeah. when he said it, the first thing I said, kind of half jokingly, is. I went, my mom's going to be so proud. And he just looked at me because he barely knew me. He didn't know my sense of humor yet. He just kind of looked at me like trying to figure out if I was being an asshole or being a smart at what I was doing. But, you know, I kind of laughed it off. But I was willing. I, I said, whatever, man. Whatever you want to call me, that's fine. Because I knew they, going, they wanted to own licensing. Yeah. Because, I mean, all for the – Everything else, as far as the intellectual property, belonged to me. I mean, obviously, the garbage man. Rocco Gibraltar and Duke the Dumpster were the same exact guy, except right. the name tag was different. That's it. And, um, you know, it's interesting because, like, for the first, I don't know, a few months, I was still wearing the Rocco jumpsuit from Florida, but <laughs> Shane had me put a tan shirt over it. That's why in my early pictures, there's a different colored shirt over the top part of the outfit. Because at the dump, when we were cutting the promos, doing the vignettes, he had to cover up the name tag Rocco with a shirt. And I just I had to wear that until I got a new Duke shirt made with a Duke tag on it. But that's kind of how it all went down. But, yeah, Shane was Shane was kind of working his way through the different aspects of the company at the time. And at that, just my luck, he was working at the uh, studio at that point. And um, he produced all my vignettes and stuff. So we hung out for like three days. Driving around Stanford, Connecticut, cutting a bunch of promos. As a garbage man. As a garbage man. On the back of a real garbage truck we met in the middle middle of the road somewhere that was really picking up garbage in the middle of their route and they stopped everything so we could I could do those promos off the back of the truck. And then we went to the dump and I climbed up like this fifty foot mountain of trash to cut promos and uh yeah. And then we did one like in the back. I was sleeping inside of an actual garbage truck. That was disgusting. But yeah, we just uh, any idea he came up with, we did it. And uh, there was a lot of good little vignettes that came out of that. Um, you get that call. You're going up. Like this is like you're getting dark matches. This is it. Um, you made the tape. Uh, it's all it's all falling into place. 
so to speak. Um, was there a steep learning curve from the training, uh, the stuff you had been doing before WWF to to now the, these dark matches? Uh, is there a steep learning curve? Not really. Um, the dark matches I did, I worked with Reno Riggins. Those were my tryouts. I worked with him for two nights. And he made me look like a million bucks. Um, I still, to this day, give him a lot of credit with helping me get that job. But um, as far as actual wrestling, minor, minor differences, they would call something different. You know, they would call a, a hip toss out of the corner. They called it a big a beal, oh. as where I always just called it a hip toss. Right. And and so little things like that would, would come up every once in a while in the middle of a match. But, you know, I mean, the guys at that level are all so good. You know, everybody is so good up there for the most part that uh, it's real easy to work with pretty much everybody there. Um, One of the most interesting things that I found – uh while i was preparing was your angle your i guess angle slash feud uh with mr jerry lawler because i believe that was one of the first times i remember seeing a trash can directly to the head of somebody yeah uh back then in the wwf like that was hardcore slash attitude before was the attitude there um was that planned out was that quote-unquote in the script uh how did that come about well there was first of all there was no script they uh back in those days they just told you basically what they wanted and sent you out there and this was live this was live raw live television yeah that was all yeah exactly Live and uh, this was also considered the PG era, the original PG era, when it was still geared towards family entertainment and kids, yep. you know. But um, the initial idea they gave us was, I'm going to go out for King. Jerry's going to call me out to King's Court because earlier on Superstars, when I came out, he tried to interview me and put a clothespin on his nose to make fun of me like oh. I stunk. And I dumped garbage on his head, right? What a jerk. So then... Fast forward to Monday Night Raw, live television. He makes me come out to the ring so he can ridicule me and make fun of me. And uh, he won't let me get in the ring. He won't hardly let me talk. And what their idea was is for me to finally get fed up with it and finally say, that's it. I've had enough of this crap. I'm getting out of here. And as I walked away, he was supposed to jump me, just jump me from behind and beat me up. Um it was Jerry Lawler's idea to ask me. He asked me, he said, do you think it would be okay if I used the garbage can and hit you with it? Now, when I was down in Florida, man, I was hitting everybody with the garbage can. They were hitting, if I was a heel, they were hitting me with it somehow. <laughs> so everybody was getting hit with that damn garbage can. And um, the people loved it. People popped every time. And I was like, dude, absolutely. If it's okay with them, I'm fine with it. And so... What we did, and this was a very strategic move, I think, on Jerry Lawler's part, is we looked for the one agent in the back who who we figured didn't give a shit what we did (laughs) as long as it got over. And that guy was Jack Lanza. Black Jack Lanza. We walked up to him and goes, hey, would this be okay? And I just remember he looked at us both and he goes, fuck it, it's live TV. Just do it. 
And I, was, I looked at Jerry, I said, we're doing it. And so we went out and everything went down the way it did. And if you notice, as soon as he hits me, the camera shoots away to a wide angle because they panicked. Kevin Dunn in the truck freaked out because it was too violent. And yeah. they pulled the cameras way far away. And all you could see was a can going up and down. And they freaked out, man. The, the office freaked out. We went back and we got in the back after all that. We went back to inside the locker room in the gorilla position. And they were milling around like, oh, my God, da, 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 what are we going to do? And um, Shane McMahon ran up to me and he goes, what happened? What happened? What do you mean? I said, we, we uh, <laughs> talked about doing this deal with the garbage can and we asked if we could do it. They said, yeah, we did it. He goes, oh, man, no, but she, I don't know, man. And he walked away and they were milling around and trying to figure out how to deal with it. So what they did is immediately they had. The uh, two commentators on the live Raw, which was, at that point was Gorilla Monsoon and Macho oh, Man Randy Savage, oh, come on live oh, immediately and freaking apologize for it. And they said, you'll never see something that violent again on, on live WWF television. So, which at that point, I really didn't think anything of it. And then, like, when I got home from that trip, I remember going, I, I would go home and I was taping everything, like, on, I, I would tape every show. Yeah. And I watched, I think, one of the weekend shows, like Superstars, and they had Jerry Lawler come on and do this stupid apology where he, like, they taped him and he was apologizing for for attacking me with the can and all that stuff. And and um, I realized at that moment, I was like, ah, oh, man, this just killed a really red-hot angle, man. We had so much potential. And because they're so scared, I guess, of TV sponsorships or something because yeah. of the violence of it, they're uh, cutting us off and, uh, you know, they're watering it down, which is what they did. And we ended up not even getting a pay-per-view match out of it. We ended up on another Raw to uh, do the big blow-off. We wrestled on Monday Night Raw where Doink and Dink came out and got involved. And that turned that turned Jerry Lawler versus Doink. And yeah. then they had all the... They had all the little, little doinks, yeah. they had all the midget kings versus all the midget yeah. dinks and Survivor's doinks. Yeah, yeah, but me and Jerry never got a pay-per-view out of it. But that's how that all went down. And it, was just, <laughs> it was interesting to look around that locker room after we did it. And these you could tell some of those guys were like, who the hell is this new guy I think he is coming yeah. in here and just blowing this shit up like this. People were not too happy about it, I think. I remember I was riding with Bob Holly and Adam Bomb, and I got in the car to go to the next town. And I think Adam Bomb was driving, and they go, "Dude, you're in the middle of some heavy duty shit right now." And I was just sitting there oblivious. I was like, "This is this is just an angle to me. I, I mean, I don't. Even, I think this is how you're supposed to do things, but, but apparently, you know, I guess you have to tread lightly when you first start there and be very careful or whatever." And uh, I just never gave a shit about any of that stuff. I was like, if, if it gets over, let's do it. Man. But uh, that's how it started, and that's how all that came about. And, yeah, it was Lawler's idea, and we ran it by Lanza, and he okayed it. So we just went and freaking did it. <laughs> and it's it's so funny to me, uh, looking back in hindsight, <laughs> because, I mean, no more than maybe three, I mean, maybe three years later, like, we're in the Attitude Era. We're like DX. We're like hardcore championships. Uh, yeah. We're trash cans. Dumpster matches. Yeah. Like n- yep. like not even three years later. And like to me, 
this is how I I perceive it. Like I'd be fr- I'd be extremely frustrated. Like, did you go through that? Did you feel that? Did, was there ever talk of bringing you in in the Attitude Era? It was interesting. I, you know, I was very frustrated when I ended up leaving. I was right. complaining a lot, and I think Vince got sick of me because um, that's also when the drug use started, and I was using a lot of painkillers to get by. You know, later on, I had that feud with Triple H where I really hurt my back one night. So I was really compensating with using pain meds and drinking a lot of alcohol after shows or whatever. Yeah. But um, I when I they ended up saying you could go ahead on home, and I went home, and I remember I got home, and the drug use got a lot worse, and the drinking <laughs> got a lot worse. But I did still try to improve myself. I got, you know, I was lifting weights and... Didn't I did some steroids, which was stupid, and um, but I still I got bigger and I went and wrestled in Germany for a while and came back and I went and got another. I called WWF and I talked to Bruce Pritchard and they brought me in and they made me try out again. Mm. And this was during the Attitude Era. I went in and they made me do a tryout match. It was me versus uh, um, Carl Pierre. Oh, PCO, PCO, Pierre yeah, Olet. yeah. Yeah, he was trying to get back in, too, so we had to try out against each other. And another guy that was trying to get in was Shawn Michaels' buddy, Paul Diamond, mm. who used to be Max Moon. I had to do a tryout match versus him. And they weren't the greatest matches in the world, and I was really, I don't know, I just, I wasn't that into it. But another thing that was going on at that time was I also went and got a tryout with WCW. Oh. And the interesting thing was, they both came up really close together, like within a couple of weeks. And uh, I asked two people, two guys that had been my friend, Bret Hart and Steve Austin. I asked them advice. And uh, Bret Hart said, you need to do both of them. You need, that's the professional thing to do. You need to do both. And Austin, I later asked him, and he said, you need to pick the one you want to work for and just go do that one because these are very vindictive people. And um, I listened to the wrong guy. I listened to, to Brett, and I did them both. And exactly what Steve said happened. They both were pissed, and nobody called me in. And uh, that's when I really just got super frustrated with the whole business. And then that di- downward spiral just really accelerated, and things got really bad after that. But uh, that's how it kind of went down, yeah. It was <laughs> interesting. Steve Austin always gave me the best advice, and I never took it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you said Bret Hart, Steve Austin, uh, two buddies uh, backstage. <laughs> Both gave advice. Uh, never took Steve's. Why take Bret's over Steve's at that time? Uh, up until the point where I had left, Bret was the champion. And Bret was just very well respected, and I didn't. Right. I, I would I would later realize that a lot of the things Brett were t- was telling me were stu- were not right. They were not correct. He was winding me up, and um, I didn't realize that though till after the fact when I was gone. Uh, whereas Austin was just trying to be a friend because we rode together, and he was he was trying to like legitimately be a good friend and and give me advice. And um, like I said, I just didn't take it because. Brett had been the champion and had that respect for so long 
that uh, I just thought he was going to give me the best advice. This was before the Stone Cold era really took yeah. off. You know, as I went in for that tryout again later, that's when Steve Austin was just about taking off. This was, it was like 19, it was ni- the end of 97 into 98 somewhere where things were really starting to rock and roll. Uh, but when he initially gave me that advice, I just, I didn't see him as, he wasn't this megastar yet. And um, I was just thinking that Brett was this well-respected champion. He was giving me good advice and turned out he really wasn't. Why do you think Brett was winding you up? Any reason behind it? I don't know. I think those guys had fun doing that kind of shit because I saw one time, you know, Lex Luger was on the original yep. Nitro with yep. that big coup where he jumped ship. Remember that? Yep. And I remember um, I was riding with Brett, Owen, and Davey, and we were in a minivan. And I just remember uh, it was Davey Boy was tagging with Lex Luger. You know, they had that bit for a while, they had that babyface tag team, I think. And then and then they switched and Davey was a heel and yeah. Owen and Davey and all these different things. But they used to wa- talk about how they were winding up Lex Luger to the point where he left. <laughs> and I just remember sitting in that minivan hearing that and not really even thinking about it going, wow, I can't believe they – why would they do that to that guy? You know, they he kind of took pride in the fact that he wound up Lex Luger the way he did almost to the point where he was taking credit for Lex quitting and leaving and jumping ship and going to WCW. But the fact that I sat and I was privy to that conversation uh, amongst the the Hart guys and and Davey and those guys in the minivan made me realize, man, these guys are fucking cutthroat vicious, man. You got to be careful. Um, Damn. Uh. Great stuff, great stuff there. Uh, you know, with Austin and, and Brett, I got a ton of other stuff we're gonna get to, but uh, I'm gonna save it. I, I, I've been the advice I've been given, Mr. Uh, Drozzy, is leave a lot on the table for re- return appearances. Uh, helps sure. every, helps everybody. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna leave the King of the Ring, the Royal Rumble, feud with Triple H. I'm leaving all that on. I also I'm so enthralled in uh, the journey which got you how we kicked off tonight's show to got you literally where you are. Um, uh, it's I, tragic. Is a, I, I, it's a journey. It's a wait. It's a it's a roller coaster wave. It's a story of redemption. A, yes, that is it. Thank you. It is a story of redemption for sure. And uh, I think people need to hear it, and I think it needs its own dedicated stuff. So I'm leaving all that on the table uh, to bring oh. you back um, somewhere, you know, down the line in the future when when it works. Yeah. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Yeah. Uh, what we like to do at the end of every show is uh, I'm going to give you the proverbial mic. Uh, you can cut a promo. You can put over anybody you want. You can bury anybody you want. You can plug anything you want. Uh, I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to uh, speak in your ear. I will not interrupt. The floor is yours. Well, all right then, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, 
I really appreciate being on the show tonight, uh, and I appreciate the welcome that the fans have given me. You know, when I came back out of obscurity to get involved in doing the, you know, the, the conventions and things and the meet and greets and, and getting back in touch with fans, uh, there seems to be this nostalgic look back, and it's been really great, and the fans have been so nice to me, and I really do appreciate it. I am on social media, man. My my Facebook page is where it started, which is the Mike Drosy Facebook page. But now I've got Duke the Dumpster official YouTube. I've got a Duke the Dumpster official TikTok. I even have a real Duke Drosy Twitter that I never use. But if you look at TikTok and uh, and the YouTube and Facebook, you can see what I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing a little. I, actually, I've got two podcasts going right now. One is on Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time called The Recovery Podcast. Me and one of my co-workers from the drug court that I work for, we talk recovery on Friday nights. And then Saturday I do a show called Trash Cam Live, which is a spinoff of something, a concept I tried to do in the WWF. I had this camera and they called it the Trash Cam until it got over and then Shawn Michaels stole it and oh. named it the click cam and, and he named it the click cam <laughs> but <laughs> now I have trash cam live every Saturday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time uh so those are the two things and you can see both of those on my YouTube channel and on my Facebook channels and just come check me out man I I, I really appreciate the welcome that the fans have given me and doing shows like this man I really appreciate the opportunity my friend yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I think you have um you have a plethora of knowledge to bring as far as wrestling goes, but I think uh the stuff you have to uh bring and shed light to that that's non-wrestling uh is is so much more important. Uh mental health, uh drug recovery, relapse, all that is is needs to be heard. And uh I'd love to give that platform so um, anytime you want to come on, uh, don't feel like you need to discuss wrestling, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right so. on. That's great. Yeah, like I said, anytime I'll do, I'm available. I'll be glad to do the show whenever you want, man. Spectacular. Uh, you've been a pleasure to talk to. You've been easy to talk to. And uh, I'm going to bid you uh, a fair ado. Have yourself a wonderful night. Get some sleep. And we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. Man. Yeah, have a great night. You too. Later. <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs>